0: The profile.
1: You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to the profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Megan Cornwell. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith, and ministry. My guest today is Robert and Liz Glover. Robert was asked to set up the very first family based fostering and adoption agency in China. His charity, Care for Children, has placed over 1 million orphans in loving families across China and beyond. In 2005, Robert was awarded an OBE for services to orphans and vulnerable children. All of his work has been underpinned by his Christian faith and a resolute sense of calling from God. Robert and Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Megan. We're in the middle of a pandemic, as you well know, which experts believe originated in the wet markets of, of Wuhan, China, a country that you're very, you're both very familiar with. Did you see these wet markets when you lived there? And if so, can you describe them for us? Yeah,
2: I mean, they're everywhere.
1: <laughs> um, and
2: I, we, that's how you shop um, in China. You know, you um, your fresh produce, your meat, um you you would um they they generally cover quite a, a large area and they have um different uh avenues so you have all your um all your fish in one area and obviously they're all live and you um you buy your uh fish live and uh, then it's prepared there in front of you and um also with your your chicken and things like that there there are um uh, chickens and things and then of course your vegetables and um everything else is there and um it's it's very good food and meat and 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 vegetables and um it's just a bustling lively Um, I mean, it would be similar to one of the markets in London, you know, where you've got the people shouting out what they're selling. And um, yeah, that's 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 sort of what it's like.
1: Yeah. So my understanding is it's um, a really kind of deeply ingrained part of Chinese culture, these wet markets. But but obviously, as we've seen with the pandemic, there is this risk of outbreak um do you you've seen a lot of cultural change in china over the years that you've worked there do you think this is an area that you will see the government being able to change or will it be because it's so much part of cult of of sort of traditional heritage it will just be very difficult to change people's views on live animals um wild animals etc mm.
0: i think it's already changing we're we're seeing and hearing that 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 has changed and you know because um obviously all the the um, health um, situations has to be put in place Uh, I think for a long time you know um, Chinese are very pragmatic and practical and you know they will deal with this and they will sort it out Uh, uh, the sort of culture that comes from is the fact of um, it's fresh you know and it's almost kind of opposite in the sense that we have gone into you know supermarkets and everything and nobody knows where our food comes from Um, and people are in the West, are trying to move towards more healthy, fresh food, and and now what we're seeing in in China pressure for that to be reversed. In the sense, um, many people you know, wouldn't trust refrigeration or you know freezers, and would prefer to have f- fresh uh, food to their table. So it, it's quite interesting as the West are trying to find more organic, um, you know, more fresh food. Um, that was very much the case of living in China. Um, but, uh, but now that will obviously reverse and become quite different.
1: There's already a lot of distrust, isn't there, between the West and China. Are you concerned at all that the current crisis might exacerbate that sort of dynamic?
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think anybody who really knows China knows that um, that's quite superficial. You know, my, our experience of living in China... Um, is that um, we would read the, sometimes the news and um, hear the, the, the reports on TV. And living there is, you know, you, you experience exactly what happens. So, you know, the people in China are beautiful people. They're amazing, humble. Um, and, of course, the Christians are just incredible um, in their faith and their journey and, and so I think, you know, someone wrote an email to me recently referring to China uh, around some issue between China and America. And I said, well, what is China? You know, there are 50 people in the Chinese government that make up the, you know, the, the Party Congress. But yeah, there, there are 1.3 billion, 1.4 billion people. People that we know that live in the towns and villages are just, you know, some of the amazing people. And, you know, for for Elizabeth and I living in big city like Shanghai with our children, we never felt threatened. Um, Our girls could go out in the evening and never feel unsafe. And so I think there is um, a lot of um, um, unspoken um, uh, of the reality of what true life in China is like.
1: Some misunderstandings, perhaps.
0: Well, I think it becomes political, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, when we were in China, people would, would, would say, do you always carry an umbrella in England? And, and they'd say, why? Well, it rains every day, you know, so that you get these stereotypes. And, you know, I think these stereotypes grow. And I think this is something that captivated me when to go to China, because there was this mistress. Um, mysterious um, culture, uh, uh, a country um, with all sorts of um, ideas about it. But, um, you know, if you live there and um, alongside the Chinese, then you actually get to experience and know they're beautiful people.
1: On the profile, Robert and Liz, we like to ask our guests about their personal faith journey. Can you tell me a bit about how you both became Christians?
2: Well, I didn't become a Christian until 1990. So I was raised in a um, non-Christian family. Um, no one in my family was a Christian. And um, I met um, Robert in 1981. I don't know, he was, he was like, he was a friend of my brother's. So he um, just seemed this mysterious A big guy with a deep voice and um, I was just drawn to him and I can remember him saying a few things about God Um, and I just thought that's really interesting like that that really sort of uh, intrigued me. Anyway um, we started to date and then we got married in 1984 and um, we moved into a new house And each side of the house, we had Jehovah's Witnesses, which we didn't know at the time. But I I had started to feel, I think, that, um, I don't know, life was a little bit disappointing. (laughs) And so the Jehovah's Witnesses started to give me Bible studies and I, um, I was interested in those, but I knew Robert was not very happy with that. And we were attending the Church of England Church um, going along to that and the vicar would say you know um, the Jehovah's Witnesses are not okay you shouldn't be listening to them and um, the the Jehovah's Witnesses were saying that the Church of England were hypocrites anyway there was all this controversy going on over my head and I had started to feel like wake up in the night and and just feel like I don't know very lost So it was the day before I was due to go to the kingdom hall and I just said to Jesus, um, I just said to God, you know, if you're real, I know it's all about Jesus. So if you're there, show me. And I can remember opening my Bible and reading, remember this above all else. And I thought, my goodness, I found the most important bit in the Bible. And what it said was no prophetic word came about by the will of man. And I realized at that point, um, and I obviously it was holy Spirit uh, revelation really yeah, um, for me at that point, I realized that the jehovah 's witnesses were were preaching a message that was for them, which is you do you want to live on earth forever so I, um, I ran round and spoke to them, and I ran round to the to the vicar and told him as well. And that the Jehovah's Witnesses said, that doesn't mean that to us. And the vicar was very excited. And, but there was a couple that had been praying for us down the road. They were Christians. And I went to them and I said, Jesus is real and the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. And um, they said, praise the Lord. So um, I just, from that point, I can remember watching the news for the first time that I always say for the first time that evening, because I watched it and I could not, I'd never seen good and evil. Suddenly I could see good and evil. It was clear, as clear as day. And I could not get enough of my Bible. I just wanted to read, 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 read. And um, Robert always says he came home to a new wife that night. Um, So yeah, my conversion was an instantaneous, very quick and... um, yeah i was i was i had that sort of um born again experience which is precious to me and
1: yeah that was me thank you liz was that also the case for you then robert did you also have a sort of light bulb moment
0: no absolutely not um mine was a long drawn out affair with god tussle really um as a young uh, obviously a young man not having a father my father left when i was two i didn't really ever know him um I just really sensed the presence of God and God the Father, and um, was very passionate um, as a as a young boy, I suppose, um, around the age of twelve, I was confirmed in the Church of England, and so very aware of um, you know what Jesus had done for me and um, and father god who who really stood in the gap uh, you know i felt um, um, but like many um young you know, through adolescence and young adulthood, sort of God can wait. And uh, I, you know, went into football and then Royal Navy and um, had a few experiences where, you know, I think we all do, we get in our desperation, we call out to God. Um, But then had a real encounter where sometimes God says, right, enough's enough and brick wall. I had an illness um, which I was miraculously healed from. And um, I think um, that was... Around a similar time to Elizabeth's experience. Um, and so gradually went from um, seeing that the, the flames fanned, and then, you know, I think once you realize what Jesus has done and you want to give your life, I think we went through a period of a couple of years where we just prayed, God, use us. We want to be used. And um, that's a dangerous pair, isn't it? Because. <laughs> God certainly then started to put things in place. Mm-hmm. I remember Jackie Punja saying to me, um, uh, "Why did you go?" I said, "I don't know. I mean, there's probably a thousand people better qualified than me could have gone." And she said, "Well, thank thank God you went because if you mm-hmm. hadn't, it would have never happened." You know, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that was the case at the end of the day. I, you know, we were we were fervent and ready to go.
1: Well, we'll get on to your relationship with Jackie Pullinger later on um, but first let's talk about your calling. so your, your career started in the UK in terms of your work with vulnerable children. let's talk a bit about those early days.
0: Mm. So well on the back of um, uh, football uh, which hadn't worked very well and then the Royal Navy I, I, you know I thought the Royal Navy would be a good opportunity to get out to the, the, the South China Seas I, even in those days I had this desire for Mysterious country of China. Um, but <clears throat> I ended up in a submarine in the Baltic. And so, um, again, that sort of came to an early close. And and on return, I got involved in um, um, social services. I became a social worker. Um, I was involved in residential care and then looked uh, into the whole area of family placement, fostering officer. Um, we then went to Guernsey, where I, I had a, a wider uh, task of working with children but what in all that experience what I realized was that residential care was not serving children very well and that actually children need families I always remember one incident in China as uh, a bit fast forward I was speaking on uh, CCTV um, which was Chinese central television by the way And uh, the the interviewer said, um, you know, we're just about to go live. There's 500 million people watching. Why do children need families? And, you know, I don't know if you had the experience, but it just came to me, you know, this wisdom came from the Holy Spirit. And I just said, simply, God made the family for children. And suddenly the studio went deafly quiet. You know, the people looking around, Well, can he say that? Can he say God in... And and then someone said yes, and someone said yes, yes, and they all agreed. I think there was this realization that Chinese are very pragmatic and practical. You know, they understood God. They, under, they do understand who God is. And family life is so rich in China and so part of their culture and their heritage that, um, you know, it was a simple statement that they were able to digest. Um, and I think that was something in my early stage of social work is that, a realisation that children really do need families and they need family care. Um, So it became part of my DNA of how do you then look at social reform, childcare social reform? How do you reform, you know, um, the whole infrastructure? Uh, Lord Lemming said to me once, Lord um, Herbert has become a very good friend of mine, he said to me once that if the system is not working for the children, then you have to change the system. And I think that's what I was about. I was about that in, 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 in the early days in my social work, and which then was carried forward that experience um, of when God had called me on this journey to China.
1: Tell us about how you went from working in the system to working in China.
0: Um, well, um, I, as I said, I had this fascination for China. Um, I just felt that God had put that in my heart from a very young age. And um, there were a couple of prophetic words that were given to me, um, and I remember quite early on in Guernsey, um, uh, a gentleman, Dave Devonish, came to our church, and he preached, and he came over and prayed with me, and he just said, I sent you are going to be father to as many children as the stars in the sky, and I thought, well, that's, um, that's going to be quite an achievement. Um, you know, we got six children, I think, by then, and we were doing Sunday school and children's work. And so you kind of try to deal with it in your subconsciousness and and, and move on. And then as um, time had moved on, I think we were at Stonely Bible Week and um, an Australian man called um, Pete Brooks came again and prayed for me. And he said, I just sensed within this year, you're going to be in an earthquake. And this is where God wants you to be. Well, of course, you know, apart from this period of time while i never had anything like this so I didn't understand what this meant um in an earthquake I thought you know I, I remember meeting my friends and saying we don't have earthquakes in the UK you know you obviously you know got that wrong and um anyway within that year November I got the opportunity to go to China and Liz was amazing she just said yeah you should go this is something you always wanted to do so you know go and um uh, just before we left in the church, all our church gathered around and prayed for us, and a little girl had a picture of us with an Olympic torch um, uh, taking it to cities in China and again didn't really understand that, but um, off we went and um, we in those days you had to fly through Hong Kong, so we went to Hong Kong we spent some time with Jackie and um, just loved listening to the guys you know and these um, the, these drug addicts and their lives and their, you know how and we sat drinking tea with him and, and and Jackie said, look, you know, we don't get fathers coming in, talking to the guy. We love, we do always come in and, you know, spend time with them. And I said, of course I will. And um, went into Shanghai, dropped, uh, you know, flew into Shanghai airport and a lady, Chinese lady, gave us tickets to Special Olympic Games. My friend said, no, you know, we don't want to go there. But um, I remember the little girl's... Um, uh, dream or vision and so we went to this we had tickets numbered my friend sat next to someone he'd gone really famously with and i sat next to someone who was um, introduced to me as a senior member of the communist party so i've been very careful thinking you know they're trying to catch us out you know we're 007 christians and we've got to be really careful here anyway we were talking backwards and forwards and the at the end, he said something really strange. He said, "He Looking up in the sky, he said, All the work I do for the children is for my father. And I was thinking, he, He's trying to catch me out. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say anything. And uh, so he carried on talking about how he was raised in a mission school in Yunnan province. And I don't know if anybody's had this experience before, but my heart started to beat fast. And before I knew it, I said, We're Christians and we come with a heart to serve. And I thought, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. And he said, um, which hotel are you staying in? And we told him, and he said, I'll pick you up tomorrow at 8 o'clock. So walking out, my friend had had a great time with talking to his friend. He said, what's the matter, Ro? I said, well, you know that man's a senior member of the Communist Party. He," uh, I told him we're Christians, and he's picking us up tomorrow morning. Anyway, they picked us up, and we went to this... Um, this dinner and there were some other Westerners there and they were wagging their fingers and telling them off. I was thinking how rude, you know, these people have, you know, these were government people and they'd invite us to dinner and I was just saying the food is lovely and the, the, the drink and the company and everything was wonderful. They, they'd hosted us. And I didn't realize that was very much Chinese culture. You know, the word guanxi about doing relationship and, you know, you don't get into um, business until you've enjoyed food and hospitality, I just did that naturally and um so it wasn't surprised that um they got rid of these other people and brought me back and we had some more talks and they asked me about family placement and so I started to share with them about you know a positive alternative to institutional care and they really loved it, and they asked if we'd come back and help them. Well, that night we went back to the hotel and there was a wedding and we got involved in the wedding and went back up to our room. My friend was reading a book and I was watching football on TV and then we, he said, are you rocking my bed? I, I said, certainly not. And we noticed the curtains were moving and looked out the window, people running around and, you know, I went out onto the hall to find – in those days you had a little Chinese lady at a desk and she would mark in when you came in and when you were out there monitoring you, basically. And she'd gone and all the doors were open – and as I stood in that doorframe, I just remembered that Australian man, within this year, you'll be in an earthquake and it's where God wants you to be. So for me, it was quite startling. And um, I think from there, we uh, um, as I came back. And when I got back to Guernsey, the phone went and the Foreign Office wanted me to go to London. And I went and met with people in the Foreign Office. And they've said, look, we've, we're trying to build some relationships between Uh, uh, UK and China, and uh, they want you to go as their consultant. If you go, we'll support you. So suddenly, what was this trip of fact-finding that turned into something much, much more?
1: Well, that's the end of part one of The Profile, brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. If you would like a free copy of Premier Christianity, then head over to www.premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample join us after the ads to hear more from robert and liz glover do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the uk church today premier christianity magazine is for you the uk's leading christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with christian leaders in-depth reporting reviews columnists and loads more and best of all you can try it for free Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Where faith comes to life. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. In part two, Robert and Liz Glover share their thoughts on the one-child policy in China and reveal some interesting details about their friendship with missionaries Jackie Pullinger and Francis Chan. Listen in. And so let's go back to talk about the orphanages then. So the institutions, state-run orphanages. Tell me a bit about those and tell me about the one-child policy and what impact that had had on the country.
0: Yeah, well, um, I think the important thing here is... um, I don't think people really fully understand uh, culturally why the, these um, things were happening. And living there gave us a better insight that um, <coughs> that um, the population had gone out of control. And of course, where man intervenes into many things, then you get disaster. But this one-child policy was supposed to be a way to slow down the population. In Chinese culture, it is as, import- as important for the parents to take care of the children as the children to take care of the adults. So in China, when we arrived, there was no old age pension. There was no old age care. There was no old age homes, or um, even in hospitals, there were doctors, but the family had to take care of, change the sheets, wash the patient. So the situation is in Chinese culture, when a, When you have a daughter where she grows up, she is, um, uh, when she gets married, her duty is to take care of her husband's parents. And it is your son's daughter that's duty is to take care of you. And so, in a sense, this wasn't a gender issue, this was a cultural issue around people. Um, you know, securing their care in old age. So what we found was that there were many girls that had been abandoned because of the one-child policy. And um, I think it had got to the stage in 1996 where it it was in crisis. You know, when I arrived the first time into Guangzhou, you know, there were five children to one bed. Um, And look, what I realized very quickly is if we were gonna make a difference to the children, we had to work through the staff. The staff had no training, they had no understanding, they had very basic training. And so we had to um, serve them and and train them to envision social welfare reform. And I was convinced the only way to do that is within the government and within the government's resources.
2: And I think as well, um, we... um, (coughs) We can so easily come from uh, a nation and throw rocks across the world at different situations. But uh, I think I realized as well that, um, you know, China and the history of China and through the cultural revolution and different aspects of of their history, that, that any of us who had grown up in similar situations, You know, if if God had decided to place us in China instead of placing us, because, of course, the Bible teaches that that where we live and when we're born and when we die is all ordained by God. And so, therefore, if we'd have been born in China, we would be exactly the same as the Chinese people. You know, many of the Chinese people say it's our responsibility to have one child. Um, And I can remember... um, Nikki and Silla Lee, who of course run the marriage course, um, they came over, um, we're good friends with Nikki and Silla Lee, and Silla, um, uh, we, were, we were just chatting at the time and I think we'd got some Chinese people with us and she suddenly had this awareness of the feeling of being told that you could only have one child. So that, 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 that freedom that actually God has given us had been had been taken and how that might feel as a woman as a mother and um and the weight of that and I think she got quite emotional and um yeah I I just think that we we all have history every nation has history and we we have culture we all have culture and and none of us you know we, we we can't boast in the things that we have. You know the Bible says that we we can only boast in Christ, um, the cross, Christ crucified, and and yeah we have have grace for each other, and we have. Of course, the Chinese can can sometimes look at the West and say things like, "Is it true that you live in houses with three and four bedrooms, and there's only two people live in that house? <laughs> Is that true?" <laughs> And we have to say yes, it is. <laughs> I think you know, there's there's so much that we can learn from each other, and yeah. So I just I think I'm pre- I'm trying to preach a message of love and grace mm. from what I'm saying.
0: And I think the important thing for us is, our, from from us as an organisation, our intellectual property was in the sense of working with the government. We had good relationships with the government both nationally and locally and we wanted to serve and encourage them to look at how they could reform their social welfare through i always remember i sat down we we signed the first deal and i said you, you know the important thing about chinese history and culture uh, is 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 not to lose face we will never criticize you we will never show bad pictures about you uh, we will honor you. We want you to be successful. And this was part of building trust, you know, from two different cultures. I said, on on the, on the reverse, you have to understand that in the British culture, we have integrity, honesty, and we want to pre- preserve and protect every part of our finances, every penny. And he turned to me and said, every penny? I said, every penny. And we shook hands and that, was a- agreed and in place for the whole 20 years. We we never went into a place where we would make them lose face and honour, and they always protected our finances and resources and to work towards a-, a-, a positive alternative to what they had been before for children.
1: Let's talk a bit about the individuals whose lives have been changed by your work, um, Liz and Robert. Tell me, tell me some of the stories of the, of the children.
0: Yeah, well, I think um, after Shanghai, Shanghai had been extremely successful. Uh, we had an international independent evaluation by Professor June Thorburn. And in um, her, you know, her closing remarks, you've got to remember that China had received, China had been receiving probably for a decade all negative responses she said that this was probably one of the best projects worldwide and as you can imagine the pride and the the, the, the sense of honor in that and um, so here was something that China was doing well Shanghai project had placed 300 children into families and they they the, the success rate was was um, exceptional and um, following on from there we went to a um, work in a city on the other side of China, in Chengdu, Sichuan, and um, we were presented with a little baby um, who had a hole in the heart, and they thought she might die. She was skin and bone, and would we place her into a family? And of course we did, and uh, um, they they were amazing. They just uh, uh, loved and nurtured this baby, and I kept in touch from a distance and eventually went back um, a couple of years later. It <clears throat> was a few years later because she was there in her ballerina um, outfit and she was doing some moves in the, uh, ho- in the hospital um, reception. And everybody was thrilled because now she was quite chubby-cheeked and strong and we can do the operation on her heart. And so the, the consultant surgeon took her in to do the tests. And I remember him coming out and, you know, lifting his glasses, wiping a tear. And he said, I don't understand it, but there is nothing wrong with her heart. And it made national news. Here was communist China and the, the headlines were miracle baby healed by the love of a mother. And from that point, it seemed to change that everybody across the nation wanted to learn how we can move from orphanages into families in the community. Mm -hmm. So that was a quite a remarkable uh, story. And it made a huge difference. And um, as we rolled out right across China, the numbers started to grow. Um, But the other thing that um, we had a new minister come in, and he wanted to make his mark. So he started to build new orphanages. I was so in despair, when all this was going so well. And suddenly this Chap had come up with a blue sky project to build new institutions. And I remember going down to Guizhou in southern China and seeing this wonderful building. And the children were all dressed very smartly and 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 the food was remarkable and the playground looked like uh, Disneyland. It was incredible. And I'm sort of scratching my head thinking, I don't know. You know, are we doing the right thing? We're putting these children in families in poor villages. And then we got the opportunity to go in the minibus. The minibus had the name of the orphanage on the side of the minibus into this village. And when I got out of the minibus, here was this tiny little boy with a stick trying to hit me. He attacked me from nowhere. (coughs) I couldn't understand. Why was he so angry with me? And so someone translated his words. And he said, you see, yesterday, I climbed to the top of that tree. Do you see that tree? I went to the top of the tree. And when I got to the top, all the village came out. They all know my name. They shouted my name. They asked me to come down. They told me to be safe. And people, you see, people here know who I am. They know my name. And you see this dog. It's my dog. It's not his dog. It's not even my mother's or father's dog. My dog belongs to me. And every day I go across the fields to that school. That's my school. And I've got all my school friends. And when I come out of school, the dog is waiting for me. He comes home with me. And auntie always gives me biscuits, she knows my name. And uncle over there, he gives me an apple and he knows my name. I have mother, father, brothers, sisters. And in fact, all the village know who I am here. And I'm not going back to that orphanage. He thought they had brought me in the orphanage minibus to grab him and take him back. And to me, that put everything in perspective. That boy had everything in that village. He had identity. He, everybody knew his name. He had purpose. He had his own little dog. His life was rich. And it just helped me to keep things in perspective. Doesn't matter how glittery or nice the institution is. The value of a child's life in a family, in a community, in a village, was so much more important.
1: After many years of working in China, you discovered that most of the families who had taken orphans in were in fact Christians. Were you surprised by that?
0: Um, Well, I'm not surprised when you think the biggest revival in world history of Christianity is happening in China as as we were there. And so um, the good thing was um, it wasn't instigated by me. And what I often say to people is, you know what? God sometimes asks you to do a bit of the jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ask you to do the whole lot. So he, he didn't tell me to put them in Christian families. He didn't tell me to evangelize the, the families or the children. He just said, put children in families. So I wasn't surprised later on when I found, I, I always remember a, a train journey. I went on a train journey from Beijing to Baotou in Inner Mongolia. And when I arrived, I was looking pretty rough. I'd slept overnight on the train. And um, I was met on the train station by the army because my friend was the minister. And so the army came to pick me up and black cars were flashing lights. And we had a meeting with the mayor of Baotou. On the journey on the way up, my, I went with some, um, some officials, some government officials from Beijing. And they were saying, well, we know you're a Christian, Robert. You know, and we're not bothered about that because, you know, what you do is, is you know, obviously that's why you're here. And But we want you to know when we get to Bautau, there are no Christians in Bautau. They're all um, Buddhist, and uh, there's lots of Muslim and there's uh, Taoist and Confucian, but there's no Christians. So we don't want you to be disappointed. And I'm saying, well, no, 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 no. We, 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 we want to get children in the families. And, but, yeah, we want you to know there are no Christians in Bautau. We arrived and had a lot, splendid meal with the mayor. And then they brought in the first 20 families that were going to take the children from the Baotou orphanage. And my friend from Beijing then made a joke about me being a big Englishman and a Christian. And of course, no one's like that in China. We're all small and no one believes in Christianity. I went quiet for a little while and the lady, one lady put her hand up and she said, I'm a Christian and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. All 20 were Christians. And so he was a little bit embarrassed on the way home. We were on the train playing cars. He said, how come? I, we don't know about this. How come they're all Christians? And I said, well, now is my opportunity. If you really want to know, I can show you. This is part of our gospel message. We care for widows and orphans. This is part of our DNA and who we are. This is what we do. And he said, when I get back to Beijing, I'm going to do some research. He was quite a senior official in, in three provinces to find out how many Christians there are doing family placement. And, of course, it took him a few weeks, but he came back to me and he said, you're not going to believe this, Robert, but there are 80% of the families, 80% of the families are Christian. And uh, I wasn't surprised because of what was happening in China and what had been happening and is still happening in China with Christian growth. But what it did teach me is, you know, as I say again, we sometimes get asked to do a piece of the jigsaw. And when we try to do the whole lot, we take God out of the equation. So if we just do, we're obedient and faithful to what God asks us to do, it allows him to speak in a much wider way to uh, the nation
1: so let's talk about the church in China. So we're, he- we're hearing these amazing stories of revival, the strength of the church, You know, estimates of 60 million Christians. You actually think that, that uh, the 60 million figure is, is a conservative figure, don't you? You actually think it's sort of more like double that. Can you talk to me a bit about what you saw in China of, of Christianity?
0: Well, of course, all the work I do um, for many years um, was with the government. So I didn't come across... Um, In the early part, Um, it was really when the earthquake came Um, uh, in Sichuan, the biggest earthquake in China for many years, that um, we were there on day two. In fact, the biggest aftershock, uh, um, we were debating whether we should go into the the hotel. Everyone was sleeping on the streets. It It was a horrendous time because this was the year, 2008, that China was going to show the world uh, they were coming, you know, uh, to show how what what an amazing Olympics they were going to do. That was their Olympic year, and this in the May, this devastation of an earthquake, which, you know, as far as your eye could see, well, every house was flattened, and and it was quite a horrendous time. This is where I bumped into um, some Christian pastors that were they mobilized Christians from all over China to go down and just serve. Um, they were quite amazing, uh, people mm-hmm. and, you know, I've kept in touch with them ever since. Um, and it was an opportunity in seeing, you know, the work connecting to the church and, 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 and in, then helping to engage the church in, uh, promoting to their families to take children into, um, into their families. So, um, but yes, I, I, I think the Chinese church is, is remarkable. Uh, I think, I do think it's over a hundred million. Um, and you know, from certainly the people I work with and network in China, um, that would be the case. I think the official figure is something, um, that in China, everything is minimalized, um, rather than, um, you know, going to, to the maximum. So, um, yeah i don't think there's much else <laughs> i think um I think generally um, there had been a, a, a quite a opening up and uh, quite a relaxation and freedom. i think more recently since we've been out of China that's changed and um, often what happens in Chinese government even though we talk about um, democracies, they tend to um, have two wings of the party one is more liberal one's more conservative and so they almost overstep each other and i think this one has become quite um almost going back to um some old values so really pressing down on um any any faith-based organizations or um, faith-based um so i think there's been a change after many years of opening up um where um, you know, I think we go back to Hu Tower talking about a harmonious society, everybody working together. Um, Jiang Zemin opening up very, very, you know, um, um, at great speed. Um, and uh, but I think more recently they've had had much more of a tightening up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seeing that, aren't we? With with the Uyghur Muslims as well. Do you have any views on on what's happening there in terms of? Freedom of- well,
0: the only thing I wrote in the book is that when I, when we were there, um, we were still placing children in that region with the Uyghurs, and what I had noticed was um, almost like a watering down of their faith in, uh, in the sense that when you went to the family, you know, often Chinese family are very um, tight, they live together. You had granddad who was still wearing his white cap and, and, you know, he would read the Quran and go to the mosque and then you'd have dad who wouldn't wear the white cap, but read the, you know, the, the Quran and, and, and go occasionally. And then you had his children that weren't doing any of it, you know? So there was a sense, you know, even then when we were working into the Uyghur area, that there was a watering down. And certainly, you know, while we were living there, there was lots of tension. Um, there was often, you know, um, rioting and, you know, um uh, lots of problems between the Han and the Uyghur people. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, from the Chinese point of view, they always felt they were kind of a thorn in their side. And, you know, there were you know, we knew while we were there there were some stabbings in Kunming and then there was a bomb in somewhere else in China. So it was always in the background of the um the news that there there was some tensions that were going on.
2: I mean, you used to say, didn't you, that um, the rest of the world is always looking at other nations and the threat from externally, but China is is always looking, they've they've got a fifth of the world's population in one nation, and so they're always looking at what's going on within their nation as to what is creating conflict, I suppose.
0: That's in China's history and culture, you know, it's always been an internal struggle, you know, we've had world wars of, you know, fighting with Germany or, you know, two world wars and you know conflicts in different places of the world, but it for, for China it's always an internal struggle of, of maintaining that that um, uh, unity when mm-hmm. you've got 1.4 billion people, and and so for for them as a as a government they're trying to maintain that unity and not have um, have it you know segregated or um, broken down
1: yeah. but presumably the Uyghurs feel that in doing that their freedoms are being quashed their freedom to for their, to have their own faith and their way of life is being quashed
0: I think anything outside of um, I, yeah I, I think anything outside of uh, China and the unity of China through the communist party would will feel threatened
1: in your book, Robert, you talk about your friendship with uh, Jackie Pullinger and Francis Chan. In what ways have those two missionaries influenced you?
0: Um, well, I think Jackie very much in the early stages, you know, we talked about we had to go through Hong Kong. Um, I, I just love being around, um, not not so much Jackie, but what what she produced, you know, in, 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 in the old camp and the people here were these you know hardened criminals the um you know many of them with fingers missing and scars and you know tattoos and you know the, the, these the you know from triads and here they are all together you know jumping and worshiping jesus and you know and if they didn't dance well enough then she would tell them come on i always remember saying you dance in the nightclubs you dance in the pubs now you dance for jesus and they were dancing and so it was great, very radical, very radical to see her work, and um, I think over the years uh, we just mutually benefit from spending time together. It's kind of um, you know we we I don't talk about what's what's going on with her. She doesn't talk about, but we can talk together and offload and uh, support one another, and. Um, I think what happened was, um, you may know that um, she was married to John and when John died, she came up to Shanghai and lived with us for a little while, a very short period of time. But, you know, we just became very close. We're brothers and sister and um, there's a natural sense uh, uh, of of, um, understanding of what our callings are and 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 how we go about that and so yeah she just became naturally over the years i can't say it was a you know condensed time but over the years we became really good friends and but support she'd been a fantastic support to us and then francis sort of came out of the blue you know i think francis was very keen on working out what was going on in china and said can i come with you around china and um I remember um, he said, I don't want to go, I don't want to preach. I don't want anybody to know I'm there. We just want to go quietly and go in the back door and find out and listen to the church and hear what's happening. And, you know, I just sense, you know, I want to hear what God's doing in China. So he came, Uh, the first church we went to in Beijing. We sat at the back. It was quite funny. Uh, It was packed, big church, massive church. And um, we sat at the back, but word had got out. There was a, an American, famous American pastor, and um, at the end of the service, all these young teenagers came running to the back, ran past Francis, and he's giving me the eye, you know, and uh, came to me, surrounded me, and they said, um, "Will you sign your book for us?" And I said, "Well, I haven't written a book," and they said, "Yes, you have. Purpose-driven life." They thought I was Rick Warren.
1: You do look a bit like him, actually. Now that you say it. Yeah.
0: So if you imagine the whole yeah. rest of the trip. Francis was like, "Come on, Rick, you know." <laughs>
1: and
0: um, we spent actually we spent time in Shanghai, in Wuhan, actually, because that's where a lot of my connections are in Wuhan. Um, and then down uh, in Chengdu, and then we finished in in, in Yunnan. I said to him, look, "We've been to a few churches." would you like to go to one of the villages in Yunnan where uh, 70 families, their ethnic minority family, all, they're all Christian in this family, and they've taken these, about 100 children, disabled children. And so we went there and he was blown away. He said, this is why God sent me. Nothing to do with the church, this is it, this is it. These are, these people are amazing. I, he said, I don't think I've ever met such a group of people as these and uh, if you ever have a chance to see the village he speaks it's a it's a video about this village uh, cbn call it city on a hill um these and, and and like he says you know when we wake up in the morning we i think about myself i clean my teeth i want to get these people are just waking up every day and attending to the needs of these children and it blew his mind it, it really did that that apparently i think three generations ago there was an english missionary who went in this village he he didn't ever he, i think he saw one person saved which was the grandfather the grandfather led the 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 father to the lord he then led a small group and then the next guy led the whole village and so I said, are the old Christians in the village? Oh, he said, we've got a couple back from the university, and we, we they need a bit more discipling and mentoring. <laughs> the, the whole village were just amazing, and you know we stayed friends ever since. And he he interestingly he um, decided he was going to move to Hong Kong. He found out the the community and the building that they would be working from, and um, he did a little video from when he arrived in Hong Kong because he. Before he left San Francisco, there was a box on top of his um, wardrobe and he found a picture of his mother. His mother died in, in childbirth with him. And she was ministering in the same building, in the same community. Right. And it was almost like God had taken him back to where his mother had ministered as a, as a young teenage woman. So um, fascinating. So, yeah, I, we, just, we just really get on well with them. And um, um it's a it's yeah, it's I think we we we're kingdom builders. I think you know understanding that there's you know we've got to build a kingdom is 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 important and so there those links really.
1: Mm-hmm. So in terms of your plans for the future then with um care for children what's what what's on on the horizon in 2021 and and beyond for you
0: so um with china we feel they're doing a really good job and so um interestingly it was hard to get into china nobody wanted us now it's hard to get out everybody doesn't want want us to leave (coughs) so um what we're doing is we're keeping an office in beijing we've digitalized all our material so it can be used and. China's such an influence and got us such a great model that we want to keep our relationship with that, that we can introduce to other countries. We're working in Thailand, right across um, Thailand, and in Vietnam. And at the moment, we're looking at um, the the Cambodian government. We're interested in what we were doing. We took them up to Shanghai, uh, Shanghai, and they saw the work, and it was like a light switch went on. And they are now really keen for this to happen in Cambodia. Cambodia is is a, a huge challenge in the sense that the government hasn't taken responsibility. It's, it's left child welfare to the NGO world. So it's been unregulated, unlegislated. Um, and I think now is an opportunity to set a model and teach the Cambodian government that they can do something that is inspirational for their children Mm. and why shouldn't a generation of children back into families in china become another generation of children in cambodia
1: well liz and robert thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your incredible journey thank you well sadly that's all we've got time for today but see you same time same place next week